Welcome back to the next episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, which is a nonprofit education and advocacy group that brings together like-minded people working to shape our city. On today's episode, we have Brett Johnson, a partner at Boss Design, a residential design firm in the Edmonton area that specializes in estate homes, renovations, and infill development. He takes an approach that one design does not fit all, as everyone's needs, wants, and expectations and stories are all unique. Through a collective and informative process, he educates clients and builders on design, construction, bylaws, and codes so they can maximize their homes. This has been extended into IDEA's Builder Education Program, where he teaches the first module, Design 101. And in today's episode, we talk about house styles. Brett rattles off a ton of house styles that are in Edmonton. There are like a bajillion of them, and Brett knows them all. Uh, So we're not really going to define them here in our intro, because you're going to come to our Builder Education Program that's happening this year in June. Can't wait to see you there. Yeah, we get a lot of good feedback on Brett's class specifically. It's day one, like we've said a bunch of times, and you'll hear it again in the episode. We start with design. He teaches all about the language. Uh, Mariah mentions it a little bit in this episode as well, but it's a really fun way to kick off the course. The rest of the courses are very technical and important, but yeah, Brett's is a lot of fun. Yeah. And we go through a lot of different examples, group activities, and there's usually brownies involved too that are just freaking delicious. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to find for you all are breezeways. So breezeways are one of my all-time favorite things. It is either a roof, often open passage, but sometimes closed, uh, connecting two buildings, such as a house and a garage, or two halves of a building. So it's like a hallway in between two buildings, It is great if you have a stroller, heels, if you're a person that doesn't like winter all the time, maybe you don't want to bundle up just to get into your car. They're just great. They're just great. And they create a cool courtyard experience. And I just, I love breezeways. Me too. We need more breezeways. Uh, The second thing that we wanted to find for you, uh, it's kind of tongue in cheek, but it's uh, connects. Brett and I talk about it a little bit, but uh, yeah, they're little plastic. uh, It's a construction toy system. It's much like Lego. Um, I played with it when I was a kid. Mariah, you never did, did you? You didn't know what, what we were talking about. No, I'd seen them when I was growing up, but I, I just stuck to Lego. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of in the same ballpark anyways, but you can build anything. There are little individual pieces that you can snap together in a bunch of different ways to create really interesting um, construction projects. So it's it's for creative building for children. It, you could literally build anything from like Ferris wheels, train tracks, roller coasters, carousels, cars, boats, lots of things. It's, it's a little bit more mechanical than Lego, but um, yeah, it's uh, it was a cool toy that we played with a little bit as a kid. And I'm glad that Brett did too. I think we should contact Connects. Maybe they want to sponsor us. They were just actually, while I was researching for this episode, they were just bought by a U.S.-based company in 2018. So maybe they're looking to expand their uh, their advertising a little bit. Absolutely. Connects, if you're listening, please reach out to us and we will make sure to plug you more than we just did on the podcast. (laughs) All right, let's get into today's episode. So our next guest is Brett Johnson. He's a partner at Boss Design, which is a residential design firm here in the Edmonton area. They specialize in estate homes, renovations, and of course, infill development. He's a graduate of the Nate Architectural Technology Program. I won't say the year, uh, and he has been designing custom custom homes of all shapes and sizes since. Brett, welcome to the show. 
Thanks, Ryan. And thanks, Mariah, for having me. Of course. Brett, how did you get into design? Did you play with Legos when you were a child or those weird Kinects things? Or how did you get into design and architecture? Oh, you even know about the Kinects. That's even better. So yes, um, it was Kinects. It was Lego, anything, building blocks, those kind of things. But it started for me in uh, grade six when we did a renovation to uh, our house. And I would sit up on the roof and watch them at, do the addition. And I got to make a little model scale thing in my room. And those are just you know fun projects and fun things that I was you know exposed to and experienced. And I knew early on exactly what I wanted to do. It's funny how that works out sometimes. Yeah, I, I look back and I, I used to play with Legos and Kinects, obviously. That's why I knew what it was. But uh, I didn't think of it at the time. But uh, yeah, it led to me to become a failed architect for sure. Um, Boss, tell me about Boss Design a little bit. How'd you get involved with them? Yeah, I've been there for nearly nine years now. I've uh, been doing this as a whole in my career for about 20 years. And uh, it was one of those things where actually my partner, we graduated together. Uh, we kind of started out with kind of the same firm. We kind of took different paths to get there. He went into more of a commercial thing for about a year, found out it wasn't for him. So he decided to start the company in 2006. And meanwhile, I was working as his competition for a number of years until he started gaining more staff, more, more momentum. And um, at the time, he had hired my wife or my girlfriend and now my wife. And uh, after a few more failed attempts of actually trying to get me to kind of come over to his side, um, I finally said, yeah, you know what, let's do this. Let's conquer the design world. Let's, uh, let's have some fun. Did your wife uh, get involved in pushing you into it as well? I'm curious if, if Jeremy recruited her to recruit you and kind of push from two different angles. Is that what happened? I think that's the story he, he tells, but truth be told, she is more than capable and more than her, her abilities are great. And she's a great designer and great technical kind of person too. So she's, she held, holds her own, um, in any room, in any kind of a situation. Very well done. Yeah. Very well done. The, um, you and I know each other fairly well. We both teach in the builder education course through idea. You are the day one instructor, but I am curious to know how you got involved with IDEA to begin with, because I don't uh, think I knew you before that. Yeah, I am day one instructor. It's fun. It's uh, it's exciting kind of program. My introduction into IDEA was through Chelsea Jersak, and she uh, she came to the office one day for with a project, and we got to chatting, and she said, you'd be great uh, as a member of IDEA, and at the time, I really didn't know much about it, and then I went to basically a meeting. I met Mariah came to a, a meeting and they sent me home with homework day one. So that was, I was like, okay, I guess I'm doing this. And that's just uh, what it's been ever since, but I'm really happy to be a member. Yeah. That story is honestly control C control V for, for my story of how I got involved with idea. Yeah. So Chelsea seems to know what she's doing. So Brett, uh, I've taken the education course that you and Ryan teach five times now. Every time design is my favorite day. And every time you reteach me about all the different architectural styles in Edmonton, uh, for those who are listening, can you go over some of the different architectural styles that we have since like it's grown immensely over the past hundred years? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, like you said, over the past couple or a hundred years, you know, we started out with kind of the early, early kind of 1900s was more of your you know, Tudor style uh, type homes leading into kind of a craftsman style as well too. Prairie started getting inter introduced, you know, those kind of that classic uh, storybook um, architecture as well too. And then we get to into a little bit more uh, technology-based homes where we can actually do larger expanses with larger windows, you know, steel beams. Some of that architecture really kind of 
gave a, a huge leap forward in terms of more of that open concept, uh, just new materials, different ideas were starting to get kind of introduced as well too. Uh, also, post World War, we saw a huge demand in uh, housing that was you know, we needed lots of because you know people coming home from war. Um, this is where we started to see more of that production house, where it's the same floor plan. You stand out your, your front door and you can look in both directions. Everything's kind of in a perfect line. It's all the same shape. They're all a thousand square feet. They all have that dropped uh, back entry with three steps up. It's the you know three bedroom plans, one bathroom. You know, there's very little variation for those. Uh, I'll touch base on that a little later too with the renovations that we also look at as well too. But then we start to seeing now even newer architecture forms where you know people have more of an identity uh, and they're excited to actually have something that looks like you know something you've seen in a picture out of California or you know Europe or something like that. So now we're seeing more of a, a identity to a house where it's not just the same same shake, same color, same siding profiles uh, over and over. So it's it's really exciting time for just different uh, different architecture. So right now farmhouse is very popular. Um, modern's always kind of been popular uh, for the last few years. It still will be, and now we're starting to see more of a trend into revival architecture. We're seeing those like almost that brownstone uh, type architecture with more modern touches, the steels, uh, those kind of things, and that's really exciting to to now introduce uh, just a different type of architecture to Edmonton. I remember when uh, the farmhouse modern. You and I had a conversation a while ago, probably about a year ago, maybe about farmhouse modern. I was blown away the first one I saw. I thought it was the coolest style in the world, and you were like, "Give it a year, it's gonna die." Is it almost dead? I uh, no, I would say it's still very strong. I think most of the clients that we have come through the the doors still have that you know, still farmhouse look and, uh, but we're starting to see again and go a little bit more of a, maybe a modern touch with it, more of a black sidings or black stuccos and different materials, not just that stark white, um, one peak, two peak kind of thing. It's been exciting to kind of see how that's evolved over the last few years, but still going strong. Yeah. Are you, uh, are you seeing more and more, uh, concrete sided buildings? I just think that they look so beautiful. Well, again, that's now the new technologies. Even uh, so, we're seeing a lot of like the concrete tile work or the look, uh, even plasters. We start start to see some plaster on some homes again. Uh, but again, there's been advancements in technology in terms of again that uh, zero maintenance wood-ish looking kind of metal siding, uh, different profiles. Now you can get it in almost any color you want. Uh, we're starting to see a lot of that you know technology be applied, and there's so many materials, so many ideas out there nowadays. And it's, it's fun to play with and, and kind of create these new new looks with everything. I'm sure that Instagram and house makes your job pretty entertaining. People bringing styles from all over the world. Um, so Infill has increased. Uh, a news article came out the other day saying that we hit our 25% Infill target. And actually, one of the years we did over 30%. So that's super exciting. So are you seeing people come in and ask for uh, different types of uh, living situations? So single detached was very very popular but i know some people are looking for secondary suites some people are looking for uh, row housing is, is it really becoming more popular it's uh everybody that's the wonderful thing about what we do is everybody has a different take on and different needs as well too so we're really starting to hone in on making sure that the houses work for the people rather than people just living in their homes they want to actually be you know, smart with their their decisions in terms of how they live in the and interact with the spaces, both inside and out. Uh, so right now we're seeing uh, a, still a lot of single families, but yeah, more and more so we're seeing those semi-detached or 
they know them as duplex housing. Um, secondary suites either in the basement or laneway or garden suites uh, or garage suites. Uh, a lot of people are looking to supplement their income or supplement their mortgage with those kind of spaces or have it where they have maybe a daughter or son going to university. Great space to get them out of the house yet still kind of keep an eye on them as well too. I find that they're great mortgage helpers and they're also great in-law suites because daycare is expensive. I know it's becoming less expensive, but built-in daycare uh, and built-in chef sounds fabulous. <laughs> Oh, it's fantastic. We have a built, we have a, or my father-in-law is our dog sitter every day. So we don't have to worry about uh, what we do while we're at work. So exactly right on site. You're like you can't get better than that. Um, so you see what customers want and then you also work within the rules and sometimes have to uh, get variances to actually meet the needs of your clients. What are people asking for uh, that maybe be outside of the current regulations for uh, what's called a class A development? Anyone listening? That's class A is working within the rules uh, that are written 20 years ago that no longer make sense for our style of development. But before <laughs> before I get super saucy. Yeah, great question, Mariah. There's definitely a lot of rules that we uh, bend or maybe sometimes break as well, too. But the, the number one thing we still get um, that... Uh, everybody wants is an attached garage. Um, part of it is against security, um, making sure it's kind of within, you know, easy earshot, easy kind of sight line for any kind of break-ins. Um, but it's also an accessibility standpoint too. Nobody likes, you know, an icy sidewalk or anything like that. So that's one disadvantage that infill and most infill has is the fact that if you have a, a single or a lane, um, you have to do a detached garage in almost every instance. So that's the number one request that we always get from, from people saying that I want, I need an attached garage. And it's the discussion about how to you either go about uh, you know, to achieve this or just the rules and the, sometimes the hoops that we have to kind of go through to basically make sure that, um, yes, it will be approved. But it's a bit of a roll of dice at the same time, too. So that's usually number one. You know, things over the years have just gotten bigger. Um, furniture has gotten bigger, families have gotten bigger. They just need a more space or more dedicated space for different family members. Uh, gone are the days of I grew up in a seven by eight bedroom. That just doesn't work anymore. You can't fit more than a single bed in the corner with a dresser, and it just that's that's it. So, you know, bedrooms have doubled or tripled in sizes. Couches are a lot larger. So. We just need more space to actually house everything that we basically have nowadays. So it's always kind of pushing that boundaries in terms of we're always maxing out the site coverages uh, to achieve you know the spaces we need inside. And there's no mistake that building is expensive these days. So if you're going to build a, a room, you know that extra little bit of square footage doesn't add a whole lot of cost if you're already going to put a shovel on the ground. So people want to make sure they're maximizing their dollars as well too. I think I think uh, it goes a little bit beyond like the horizontal or square footage like you were talking about two ceiling heights. Um, I was in a, uh, a public engagement event a couple weeks ago that somebody asked why, you know, why don't you just do seven foot ceilings or eight foot ceilings and the builder responded by saying well nine foot ceilings are basically the standard at this point i'm currently sitting in a basement with nine foot ceilings um whereas houses that i previously lived in had seven foot ceilings and i had to duck and to get through doorways and that kind of thing so ceiling heights are you getting a lot of requests for tall ceilings as well Absolutely. Everything is basically in proportion. So you got bigger furniture size. That means door sizes have to get wider, which also to kind of keep things looking well, it needs to also get a little taller. So those are kind of, it's a bit of that ripple effect. And one thing will affect, you know, another, you don't like have to maybe 
duck underneath a beam in your basement or you're trying to move your king-size mattress now into your house that your stair room your stair headroom is minimum code it doesn't even really work for a mattress especially if you go around corners so things just you just need more space to accommodate um, you know everybody's you know, the stuff today and, and everybody has puts different value on you know what's tight or what's big if you're coming from a house with a three by three shower a four by three shower is big but you know some people will say no we need a six by six shower that's what they're expecting so it's everybody has a different perspective on what that is. And that's where you're seeing a difference in opinion in terms of things that just like ceiling height. Yeah. And then going back to the size of the house, so the site coverage, from my understanding, and this is why I'm asking you, I'm not the expert, but I believe insulation standards have increased over the years. And so we build thicker walls uh, to make more airtight buildings and sustainable buildings. Is that a thing? Yep, absolutely. Well, energy code and, and that's where the energy consumption nowadays is on the forefront of a lot of people's minds. So gone are the days of the two by four insulated walls. That doesn't even come close to cutting it for code anymore. So, um, you know, thicker walls for that insulation or, or additional insulation on the outside of the house or more attic insulation or providing, you know, roofs that are basically solar ready or, or steeper roof pitch all work against uh, our height regulations, our boundaries, setbacks, all those kind of things. So we have to be, one, we have to be smarter in how we design, uh, but two, like I said, it just you know starts to eat away at the space that we have available within the current kind of rules and boundaries that we have. So there's something I wanted to get into today. Uh, I didn't move in the pandemic, but Ryan did. And a lot of people moved in the pandemic. Uh, what are you seeing pre and post, or well, we're not post yet, we're middle-ish. Uh, who knows? I'm not a doctor. Ask the experts. Uh, but are, are you seeing people ask for different things? Yeah, it was interesting. We were starting to see that the den or home offices were kind of starting to get phased out, especially with the new technologies these days. Everybody's on their phones and laptops and they can move easily move around. But when everybody was forced to go back home, you need those spaces that are quiet to do things like record podcasts or, you know, if you got a business meeting and your kids are running around naked in the background screaming, that just doesn't work for a lot of people. I think a lot of people have understand and expected some of that to happen, but now we're starting to see that home office uh, definitely come back, you know, throughout the whole kind of thing, you know, being more isolated. Outdoor spaces were, you know, one of those things where, again, were important, but we're starting to see people need to have more multi-purpose um, for that. Exercise rooms that everybody was going to the gym. Now, again, we're starting to see people start to reintroduce those exercise spaces back into their own homes so that they can, not necessarily they want to work out, but they definitely can again. That and then kids. Kids, everybody has uh, a different dynamic at home and, and some kids are play well with others. Well, others need their own spaces as well, too. Even adults, same kind of thing. We got a lot of people with a lot of hobbies um, and now they don't need those kind of rooms to dedicate that they've, they've had to give up for their home office and those kind of spaces now. So a lot more interaction with people at home. And, and uh, you know, I know people probably went through a lot during that time and everybody needs their own spaces sometimes too. What about outdoor spaces? Are you seeing anybody ask anything, any crazy ideas for outdoor spaces? Well, you mentioned obviously kind of building maybe vertically or building up. So that rooftop deck kind of space is something that um, as, especially when you got a secondary suite in your basement, you've given up your bonus room or TV watching kind of areas. So it's not so much about the outdoor space, but now it's that interaction on sometimes that third floor or the rooftop balcony where you want that space. You got a great view. It's worth it. Um, or even, you know, on the, the main floor where those outdoor decks and solariums are you know, super popular, even 
in our climate, which again, we have winter, you know, six months out of the year, but there are some of those swing days that those outdoor spaces are actually kind of really nice. Not today, but maybe tomorrow. Yeah. So uh, definitely throughout this pandemic, I think I've gotten the most close to moving because my office is in the living room and my partner's office is in the second bedroom behind me. And I live with headphones in all day long and also littered with weights all around my house because that my that's my partner's uh, go-to stress relief, which is super fun for me. Haven't stubbed my toe 600 times. Um, <laughs> but as we transition as a city, the only way I'm going to be able to afford living in a mature neighborhood is which I really, really want to, is things like gentle density. And for those who are listening, uh, gentle density is kind of density that you don't see from the outside. So whether the house is separated into multiple dwellings, so you see that in Vancouver, there's like three or four different pe- uh, different renters living inside it. It's very similar to how my brother's living uh, or like the secondary suite that Brett was talking about. We have a garden suite in the back. It's incredibly important that we allow for those types of developments in our mature neighborhoods. And you say you're seeing more and more of that. Do you think that that trend's going to continue? Oh, absolutely. With the, again, the cost of materials these days and just being able to put a shovel in the ground, um, obviously lumber's gone crazy. You know, those aspects are more and getting more and more out of reach for, you know, again, people, younger generation coming out of university, they already have debt and, and to pile on another $700,000 infill house that's, you know, either small or anything like that. This is the way to do it is by, you know, more that gentle density or just uh, densification in terms of row houses or semi-attached suites, um, those kind of things to actually own own little pot of land or a little space to call your own. Those regulations need to kind of, again, be more progressive and we need to open this up for, for everybody to be able to afford, afford housing. Yeah, I live in one of those gentle densities. So I have I live in a semi-detached, the only way we were able to afford the neighborhood for sure. And then the other side of the semi-detached, they have a basement suite. So we don't, but they do. So there's three units on a site where one used to be. Barely seems like like much of a difference. So it's a very covert way of adding density by adding suites to uh, to existing buildings and having uh, like more semi-detached and row housing type products. But now I want to talk about those regulations, Brett. The, if when I say the word mature neighborhood overlay, what does that mean to you? Uh, well, for me, it's building in the core of Edmonton. Um, for other people, it might be sometimes a bad word. For us, it's just uh, something else we have to consider in, in terms of design. Um, I'm not afraid of it. I've had to deal with it for, for many years, and I help even write some of the regulations or help influence some of those regulations at the same time, too, through, you know, obviously, idea and, you know, just my interactions with the, the city on it seems like a sometimes weekly basis. So I'm not as afraid of that word as you are, maybe. Yeah, so I am afraid of the mature neighborhood overlay. I'm not afraid to uh, to admit that, Brett. Uh, part of it is, you know, we a lot of the regulations there are very context based, and that context is from some of those older architectural styles or older building styles that you were just referencing that are no longer relevant. But we still have to design new buildings around them. But it really, in my opinion, creates unaffordable situations. You need massive front yards 
to fit a massive house now and then have a detached garage off the back. So you're creating very unusable space in the backyard. These are my opinions, obviously, but I, I am curious how you work around some of these regulations. Like uh, you have a lot of people coming in for custom home designs, but the regulations are a little bit more blanketed and more geared towards kind of spec housing. So how do you balance and, and how what, what are the rules that you're breaking or bending most often in the mature neighborhood overlay? Uh, it's great, Ryan. I mean, we work with the, within the Immature Neighborhood Overlay, and it has evolved over the years, but it is one of those tools that uh, probably has served its purpose. It's time for a new new perspective, uh, a new zoning bylaw, just new ideas to help with everything that's been going on today. And as we push for more density in Edmonton, I know a lot of cities look to Edmonton uh, for what to do and what we're doing with like the elimination of the parking regulations and things like that. So we're, we're heading definitely in the right direction. But in terms of kind of, again, those rules that we're always kind of looking to to bend or break, um, the attached garages, which not only is an attached garage a regular variance, but it also means that 99% of the time the rear step back is also a variance. So it's kind of we get hit with two variances for one element. Um, so setbacks, um, front setbacks that are you know, excessive, you know, site, you know, just uh, site spaces that are really, really, really small. Um, that even some of the zoning doesn't even work for the the site size that it is. A lot of there's a lot of RA7s that are single families, which has no purpose being um, in that zone. So even if you look to do any development on it, you have you're already into variances just to even put up a even a semi-detached for some of those sites because the sites don't even meet the minimum regulations so a lot of it is you know just to do with with things that are outside of our control uh in terms of designers and in how we kind of approach this with our with our clientele so those are usually the it's the setbacks it's it's the attached garages it's everybody's got some unique uh element to it so it's always one of the, a lot of these one-offs but we see them all the time and it's just it's one of those things where the the bylaw is just a little bit more rigid in terms of you know what uh, what architecture is and what homes need to be these days. Yeah, so bylaw flexibility I think is um, is definitely necessary because yeah the regulations like I mentioned seem to be a little bit more one size fits all and that's that's just not the situation that uh, that we're dealing with a lot of ways. You're also you brought up a very good point about that RA seven. I'm going to go on a tangent. Uh, the house we used to live in in Ritchie is zoned RA7. It's on a 33-foot wide lot. It's a house from 1928. We can't rebuild the house. It has to be the world's skinniest apartment now. Or I have to go for variances and S-Dab and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, preaching to the choir, I almost nodded my head right off my neck while you were saying that. So um, transitioning. The building code. Uh, I work a lot in the zoning bylaw. I'm very familiar with it. The building code is basically a, um, a different language for me. So uh, how are there different kind of competing interests in the building code and uh, the zoning bylaw that you come across quite frequently? Like, are you seeing people are coming in and asking for, you know, breezeways or attached garages and that kind of thing? Are those both zoning and building code uh, considerations that have to be taken into account or walk me through the building code and, and what you're seeing and what you get asked a lot. Okay, well, we need a couple more podcasts, I think, to cover everything uh, that is obviously in that uh, document. Uh, for the most part, like the building code obviously governs, you know, what the houses, how they have to be constructed, you know, what the percentage of glazing is on the side elevations, the type of insulation, the amount of insulation, 
Uh, so very much the zoning bylaw and the code have to work hand in hand in a lot of cases. But in some things, like mentioned breezeways, there's not necessarily a code regulation that prevents people from putting a breezeway between their garage and their house. Uh, it's more of a zoning bylaw thing that really kind of hamstrings that kind of uh, development. So for the most part, it's... Um, you know those those elements in terms of what the code brings it's obviously how the house needs to to interact mostly inside from a constructability standpoint whereas the zoning bylaw is more the regulatory of what can be done that way so that's where we see the the biggest change between the two so but they do work in hand in hand i did have a quick question for you um you mentioned something earlier the setbacks that we currently have to deal with in edmonton I believe they're very contextual and have created large front yards, which I don't know about you. I never really hung out in my front yard, but is that something that people are asking for? Is that a situation that we've created that we could work on to create more livable space in the backyard? Well, absolutely. Uh, we saw, you know, the bigger front yards were, again, a, a thing that kind of came with, again, those victory homes or wartime homes where you kind of put it up, smack it right smack dab in the middle of the site uh, kind of thing and just it uh, it created the large setbacks and now as the zoning bylaw and our mature neighbor overlays kind of try to maintain that so again you don't get that very stark difference between you know the frontages of the homes it does lead to smaller backyards less usable spaces it's always nice to kind of maybe sit out and, and pe- maybe people watch come and go by maybe that little more interaction with uh, with the neighbors and things like that but you know most of the time people when they're out barbecuing you're not barbecuing in the front yard you're in the backyard with the family they're playing games that kind of thing so the really large front setbacks are detrimental to some of that interaction and that usability in terms of you know that rear yard or outdoor space um some people we still have requests for some people like the morning if their porch or the front of the house faces the you know east and they like the morning coffee it's more of a positional thing i think with the sun patterns and maybe how uh, bustling their street is but for the most part people you know prefer to have that space where they're going to spend more of their time is there a lot of like a lot of your projects are they usually uh, class a or do they need variances because people are looking to build their dream home or their a situation that fits for them it's really 50 50 and a lot of times it boils down to how soon do they want to try and put the shovel in the ground and which means yet yeah, it's, it's class a so they don't have to go through the notification period and the variance period or the even the appeal period which could add you know weeks to months or even a year or two to your project so for a lot of people they some people are fine kind of living within kind of the rules but you know even uh, even then, there's always those requests that we would like to do this. And it's one of those things where that's great. We would love to do it. It's just this is going to be the process that it's going to take to try and get that. Then they have to determine whether that's kind of worth worth the wait or and, and worth the maybe sometimes the, the roll of the dice or if they go ahead with it. So it's, yeah, it's about 50-50 for, for what we are. We're seeing a lot of spec builders uh, who are putting up, again, some of those semi-detached housing or, again, something that they turn around and sell that they don't want to sit with months, but more so that the, the individual clients who, like you said, have their dream home and have a, an idea in their mind, they're willing to, to go for it because, again, they're investing a huge amount of money into something and they're going through a process to make sure it's theirs and it's 100%. That's why you build. You don't build to build an 80% dream house. You're, you're there to try and get everything you want and, and you need uh, out of the space. For reference, how many uh, different projects, different homes does Boss see a year? 
Uh, so a year we work on a few hundred homes. We have a larger staff, which is kind of nice that allows us to kind of uh, do that. But it also means that we see, you know, probably about 50% infill and 50% are kind of greenfield or outer uh, outside the core of Edmonton in terms of development. Um, every year that kind of changes a little bit, but that's generally what we end up seeing from clientele. So we'll, we'll do usually you know, 60, 70 infill homes in some capacity or units uh, a year. Yeah. So you're saying half of your clientele is infill. You're already reaching city plan goals. <laughs> and half of those need variances because just because people want to access their housing sooner, that's the only reason. Well, not the only reason, but is one of the major factors of going down a class A project. Uh, or they're building for spec. It is. And that's where, yeah, we're, like I said, we're pushing the boundaries. We we know how to work with the city to try and achieve, again, the goals without, again, everybody with infill. The unique thing about that is you have a neighbor that's been living there for a while. So a lot of it's about communication, too, and just making sure that people understand what you're ultimately, you know, asking for. Sometimes those nervousness go out and you have no idea if it's just their their deck is two inches higher than what their regulation is or they're it's like an inch too high or anything like that. It's written as if the world is about to fall down kind of thing. So it's one of those things where communication and just the understanding and comprehension of obviously everybody that uh, a project touches uh, is paramount and is really important. Yeah, communication is so important in the development process. And if I had a few wishes to help the uh, process go a little bit smoother, it would be I would find someone in the legal department at the city of Edmonton, and then we would write better (laughs) notification letters (laughs) that the average person could understand. So boss works inside of Edmonton, outside of Edmonton as well. Yes. Absolutely. We're actually, we have projects across Canada. So we see a lot of different regulations, a lot of different zoning for a bunch of different municipalities and everybody's, you know, a little bit different. Um, We do a lot in BC, we do a lot in Alberta, less so as we go East Coast wise, but uh, we see it all. Well, that's cool. Edmonton's a great jurisdiction to work in. What are some of your other favorite jurisdictions to work in? Um, well, just from sheer proximity, we do a lot of work in you know St. Albert area. Um, they have a different way of handling their mature neighborhood. Basically, they still have an mature neighborhood overlay. Same thing with Sherwood Park. It's a totally different process. So all very interesting, very exciting. Uh, Vancouver or Victoria area, we, there's a bunch of different municipalities in there. They have all different regulations and you require sometimes just A, B, and C, and then it's some that are A, B, C, X, Y, Z regulations. So it's really kind of all over the map in terms of uh, what we see. So Brett, I mean, designers typically get involved right at the start, you know, right? When someone's looking at a piece of land and they they have their dream house uh, saved to a variety of Pinterest boards, they come into your office and you start designing the dream house. But you do get involved at other phases too, right? I know uh, we had a client that hired Boss to do kind of a second opinion on some design. Uh, You also get involved in renovations. Is that right? Yep. We kind of see it all. So for some people, we are the first step. They, Some people will call us up even without a lot. We say, well, we have to have something to work with. So uh, once you have that, we're ready to go. Um, or yeah, we'll help out with kind of a second opinions or a, even a site assessment, um, doing maybe some of your work. But um, that's great for single family homes when we get more than that. I'm 
Yep, go see Ryan. He's the guy definitely to kind of talk to about uh, anything like that. So, uh, but we help people out and just to kind of even determine where um, you know setbacks would be, sun patterns, wind patterns. We went through a heritage assessment as well too, just to kind of inform the clients if they do purchase the property, what's going to happen. So we'll get in involved in those early stages, or again, yeah, when people are actually ready to put pen to paper and, and kind of start designing their house and come in with a sketch and. We talk about all of this and how we can kind of make it work for them. So that's a big part of it. Or again, renovating. Um, renovating is a big part of uh, infill as well too. Some homes are great structurally and they can take a renovation. Some you know can't and, and some are maybe so far gone or outside maybe the boundaries. Their rear setback is already beyond what the, the bylaw will actually allow them to, to, to work with. Um, so you can't expand in that direction. So there's a lot of pros and cons to that. Yeah, I am curious about the renovating um, aspect. You know, I, I, a friend of mine has a 33 foot wide RA7 lot in Ritchie that uh, might need a renovation on that house. But what are the challenges in renovating versus building new? Why or do you see more people build new, tear down and build new versus renovating? Well, I won't touch the RA7 standpoint of that. But uh, yeah, a lot of people, there's, there's, pros and cons to, to everything obviously with that the complicated part with renovating i mean it's great when you're you're happy with the bulk of the house and you need to maybe add a room or you know expand on that the mudrooms and those things were non most of those homes are non-existent so that's where we see a lot of the renovation work but once you start working with existing structures obviously there's things you find when you start opening up walls or the exterior walls are two by four and not up to code anymore so depending on how much that renovate or how extensive the renovation is you have to now start to upgrade everything which at the end of the day will cost more uh, take more time and you might not get what you're ultimately looking for when you're doing renovating so that's where we kind of see the balance of the new versus you know renovating the, the renovation aspect of things most people again with uh, again I mentioned with setbacks you know rear setbacks are already beyond where the house is allowed to be put trying to add a second floor to maybe you know expand and, and add actually the bedrooms because you have an expanding family um, structure just can't take it the foundation can't take it it's great today but in 10 years down the road you're gonna be updating and fixing and repairing so it uh, everybody depending on what their needs are our renovations can be fantastic it can kind of preserve some of the feel of the house but at the same time too if your house is cold and you have ice damming with your attic um, sometimes you know there's there's ways to fix that but ultimately if you're trying to fix a whole bunch of things it's easier to to go new and that's where we see you know people you know tear down some of the those homes to to create something that actually functions for you know, today and what we need to do for code. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting, Brett. I know um, there was one couple, they were living in a pretty well-known mature neighborhood in Edmonton, and they had a house that had some heritage value. They were both working professionals, better educated and well-paid than me, but the cost to reconstruct their house to a livable state was $1.2 million dollars. Their bathroom on the second floor was caving into their kitchen and they had two young kids and like the numbers didn't add up. And so I know the route that they were looking to take was to build a multi-unit project. I think it was three or four units where they could live in one and then sell the other two, keep like a similar style to the multi-unit project as what was there previous. And like sometimes renovation makes sense and there's some beautiful homes in Edmonton. But I think we need to make sure that we have processes and regulations that allow for, you know, if you're at a state where the home is 
too expensive to repair. Are you not putting that onus on the homeowners? Or maybe that's just not environmentally friendly anymore. Like a lot of those homes were built with asbestos and maybe the air quality is not as great. People who are handy or semi-handy put on extensions into their homes. And sometimes it's a little bit of a Frankenstein situation. Oh, absolutely. It's amazing. We walk into some homes and what you, you know, what we see and, and what we can do. And again, sometimes we'll have to tell people that yeah, you want to add a second floor. I'm like, okay, well, it's great. You need a staircase. And that staircase that you have currently going to the basement is so beyond what code is today that you're running, you're smacking your head down. I don't Ryan, you're a tall guy. You'd be hitting your head down or the treads are so narrow that you literally might as well just slip down the stairs or just jump down because of how, how small they actually are. So to, to just update even just a stair means restructuring sometimes entire floor spaces uh, to make that work. So it becomes almost detrimental to the house because the house is already small. You're just making smaller with having to upgrade some of those specific kind of things, which really sucks for obviously your friends because that's, that's a tough situation to obviously be put in. So Brett, I've taken the education course five times, like I said earlier, and my favorite part of the course is when you go over the design language basics. So massing, void, proportion, rhythm, who knew that is it Emilio Esteban or who got who got the rhythm? I wish that was done way better. <laughs> but who knew the rhythm was going to get you in housing? <laughs> I didn't know all these language these design terms before I took the course with you. And so, for all of those who are listening, we are having another offering of the course in late June. So contact me if you want to be a part of it. I think you'll learn a ton from Brett and Ryan. Uh, what do you think, Brett? Should people join us? Oh, absolutely. It's fun. I always like the the part where we get to, you know, take one of my wonderful designs and make it way better too. So that's always a good time. But yeah, it's it's a kind of a fun course and interactive and we have, uh, you guys get to learn everything from yeah, design language. So what shutters are actually supposed to do on a house? <laughs> oh yeah, the example around shutters is so funny. Um, yeah, you definitely have to come join us because it's going to be a barrel of laughs that day. Um, so we end every episode the same, call to action. Brett, what do you want people to know or what do you want people to do? Yeah, well, it's kind of exciting time for Edmonton because we're going through the zoning bylaw renewal and there's a lot of webinars and a lot of uh, city interaction events. Um, so obviously if you want to be a part of infill and influence where the city is going to be going, I would say get out to those events, come see people, come talk to the city, come talk to people like us who will also be there and, and we're excited to kind of see what's what's next for Edmonton. So just, I would say get out in the community and be interactive. Yeah. Getting involved is so important. We're all building the city together. Uh, and so, yeah, come to engagement sessions with me, Brett and Ryan. Uh, we'll joke about shutters in real life. Thanks so much for having or for hanging out with us today, Brett. I know Ryan and I have been looking forward to this all week. Well, thanks, Mariah. Thanks, Ryan. It's been uh, it's been a pleasure. And as nervous as I was to do this, I am very happy and excited the way it's turned out too. So thank you very much for doing the podcast as well too. It's been great. Thanks, Brett. Well, that was unbelievable. Um, those of you listening are not going to know how much of a hassle it was to get this episode done. We tried to record no less than three times and each time we had a technical failure. Um, and it was never the same person every single time we had, you know, but yeah, we, we tried to record this three times, but it seems we seem like a well-oiled machine by the time you're listening to this, but 
uh, yeah, we're not always a well-oiled machine, but Brent definitely carried this episode. Yeah, I, I know you and I were like, he was the top of our list when we first created our list of who to talk to. Uh, so we were not going to let it go. We forced him to hang out with us multiple times. Yeah, for those of you that have never met Mariah and I, we are um, a little bit, I don't want to say disorganized, but I think our partners might say that. But we tend to be a little bit last minute with things. So we just hired a fantastic scheduler and someone that's going to keep both of us honest on this podcast. So we recorded this podcast three weeks before you're going to listen to it. But we're cursed. Even though we tried to record it three weeks before, we ended up having multiple stops and starts trying to record this thing. Um, I'm glad it turned out really well, but my goodness, we just can't catch a break. Yeah, every time someone tells me they work well under pressure, I'm like, I know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, we are very excited to have Nathalia uh, keep us in line because Ryan and I definitely need a little bit of structure around this. Yeah, we definitely do. Yeah, I think that's obvious with the three minutes we've just spent rambling about uh, this topic here. Yeah, so let's move on. Uh, a couple of things that Brett talked about in the episode that were awesome. Um, I love the question that you asked about what are customers asking for now? Uh, I thought his answers to the post-pandemic was pretty interesting. Um, home offices are becoming more of a thing, even though, you know, they went a little bit the way of the dodo bird before. Uh, they're making a comeback now. I have a great story. My sister actually... Um, Brett was talking about how people have like inappropriate spaces that they've been using for home offices. My sister isn't one of those. So she works from home and she's got uh, three kind of preteen teenage kids that are running around and they're all like, you know, expecting Amazon packages and like waiting for their friends to come over and have no concept of how loud they're being. And she's sitting in meetings right in the front hallway because there's no like uh, office space that they're all bedrooms in that house. It's a, it's a newer house. There's no office. So she's sitting in like the front hallway and these kids are just like running past her all day, making noise, not having any concept of anything. So yeah, the home office definitely making a comeback. How's your home office? Yeah. Uh, I am literally in the middle of my living. Well, not in the middle, on the side of my living room, which is not fun when you're trying to watch Ozark and you see your desk calling your name with all the emails that you're supposed to be responding to. So that's super. Uh, but you know, <laughs> we've done it for two years. So we're getting back to different things. <laughs> I agree. I think there's something there. Like you're ne the home office means you're never kind of not at the office. So yeah, you feel a little bit of guilt. My home office is in my basement, sitting right next to my home gym, which is another thing that uh, Brett was talking about making a comeback here. I was one of those people that over the pandemic spent too much money on equipment for a home gym that I didn't use nearly as much as I needed to. But yeah, I know we talked about this on previous episodes, but you're not a fan of the home gym. Yeah, like we have a bunch of weights all around our house. There's no real space for it. Uh <laughs> We have two yoga mats that are always out, which like, I don't know why we don't roll them up. We should roll them up. And then I convinced myself that the only way I was going to get back into pre-COVID shape was to get a treadmill and watch TV while on the treadmill. And so now I have a treadmill under my couch, utilizing an apartment space real well. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of treadmills are mostly coat racks. So that's definitely uh, at least yours folds up and goes under the couch. But yeah, I feel like, uh, you know, stock for Peloton and treadmill companies probably skyrocketed during the pandemic. I don't know how many were actually used, but they certainly sold a lot. Yeah, uh, <laughs> my husband is pretty well equipped in those conversations and growth stocks were all the rage in the pandemic. Uh, not anymore. <laughs> 
but Paul Tag definitely skyrocketed. There was a few times he was like, do you think I should buy? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Don't ask me. <laughs> but yeah, let's, uh, let's also get into that conversation we had with front, back, and rooftop backyard spaces and patio spaces. I really like cozy spaces where you can bring people over or have a barbecue, uh, have a fire pit, just kind of like unwind and relax. And I've just never felt that way in the front yard. I don't know about you. See, uh, I'm kind of of two minds. I grew up in a, um, I grew up in the suburbs. Sorry to tell everyone that I grew up in a, in a cul-de-sac. I know, gasp, but uh, our front yard, like, because we were in a cul-de-sac, lots of people hung out in their front yards. Um, and by front yards, I mean front driveways because we played uh, street hockey or basketball or just kind of hung out with the other kids in the cul-de-sac in the front yard. But um, the cul-de-sac kind of made it okay to do that. I have a front yard now that's very small, but is virtually unusable other than for drainage. So um, yeah, I also have a very small backyard now because of you know the requirement of buildings uh, or lots that have lane access having the garages off the lane. So I was kind of complaining to you before that in the winter time, I have to take like 10 steps from my house to the garage and the garage is nice and warm. So is the car, so is the house, but that 10 steps outside, you got to bundle up for, especially in the middle of winter. And you made a fun point about, you know, try to do that in heels or um, I have a baby stroller that I got to push around now. It's not easy to do that either. So it's, yeah, the, the backyard spaces seem to be getting smaller while our front yard spaces are, are maintained exactly as they historically have been because they have to be contextually um, similar to what's around them. Is that right? Yeah. Well, and I think that might speak to the need for our zoning bylaw renewal to address that. In a lot of mature neighborhoods, the front yards aren't really used. My uh, partner, he also spent a lot of time living in a cul-de-sac on his front driveway playing street hockey. So I think it just context is important, but also so is usability and the needs of today. And I don't know if we've balanced out that second part of the conversation in mature neighborhoods. If you were able to move your house forward and then build that breezeway, you could still have <laughs> a, a front yard that feels comfortable for people who are walking past and then have a useful backyard. 100%. Yeah, and a warm walk to your garage. Are you sponsored by Breezeway Canada or something? Because you've mentioned them a number of times. Um, what about rooftop patios? Do you have one in your apartment building? Uh, no, I'm in an older apartment building. It's like 20 years old. Uh, but I've had a few friends that have really gorgeous rooftop patio spaces. And then I actually went to one of our members' uh, houses yesterday. And they have it's a three-story uh, home, two rooftop patio spaces, one front, one back. And it's like a living space in the middle where you could set it up for like a home gym or an office or just like a watch TV and movie space. And they also had set it up with a bar, a sink, and like a mini fridge and a dishwasher so that if you wanted to have your coffee up there in the morning, you could. You don't have to take dishes up and down all day. And I was like, well, this is the house that I want to live in. This is gorgeous. <laughs> that is amazing. Do you want to plug that member or no? Oh, 100%. Shout out to Ryan Haynes. He designs gorgeous homes. <laughs> yeah, 100%. I remember when rooftop patios first started becoming a thing. Um, a friend of mine lives in one that he built himself and is a rooftop patio, but doesn't doesn't have any of those amenities, nor does it have like a bathroom. So um, he has to carry 
or when we hung out up there, we had to carry up all of our coffee or beverages or food or whatever. And then if we needed to go to the washroom, we're walking down two flights of stairs to do that. It's, it's chaos. So I'm, it's not surprising that uh, someone like Ryan is solving that problem a little bit, but yeah, they've evolved a little bit. Yeah. He's on top of things and we should allow for like our zoning and bylaw and rules and regulations to make usable livable spaces that don't have you breaking dishes on the way downstairs running after your gorgeous daughter. So uh, let's, let's talk about something else that uh, I think you and I have talked quite a bit about is as development happens, neighbors get notification letters from both the developer builders and also from the city of Edmonton. But developer and builders, while they do have lawyers, the lawyers don't write their notifications. They're usually lots of pictures, usually a phone number, should definitely always have a phone number sometimes even a QR code to their website. While the notifications from the city of Edmonton, and like, I understand it's a totally different ballgame, but they don't have a lot of information, and I'm not a lawyer. They need to be written in plain language. Yeah, I'm sure there's a reason for it, and I'm sure there's a legal reason for it or something, but yeah, it, the, the notices that you get in the mail often is just seems like it's reporting the news. This is what's happening at this location. They received a variance for this, no explanation. Yeah. No images of what's gonna be built. Like you gotta look up all the information yourself. And I mean, I know from previous experience, some neighbors receive that and get their tail feathers up because it doesn't give them enough information. And you know, as human nature, we just kind of assume the worst. That's our, you know, reptile brain in there. That's uh, thinking that bad things are going to happen. But I think we talked about this a little bit on the episode with Chelsea Jerzak. Uh, she mentioned that her and her company are actually, you know, responding to that and going a step further and sending out their own notices uh, with more information and doing that through their own engagement. I just, I think that's great. I just don't think it's on them. Yeah. Well, like it's, it's great if everyone just communicates better, but I think you can have a legal perspective, like the city still needs to do their due diligence, but you also could have someone from communications or planning help to design that notification. And I think that would really best serve the community. Before I was in planning, I didn't know what a DC2 was or RF2, RF3. And then to get that notification in the mail, oh, this lot is going from RF1 to RF3. And this is the variance by like <laughs> that's how you incite fear and stress. So I'd like us to move away from that in general. But on to happiness. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually holding a notification letter that I just got for one of the projects that we're working on. And it's like it's for a DC two. So I'm happy you brought that up. Um, but it says the proposed zoning is from DC2 to DC2 and allows for commercial development. It allows, it allows more commercial use opportunities to the DC2, adds a commercial building, eliminates increased setback requirements, and establishes setback re regulations for the development. That's all it says. Did you understand what we're, what we're proposing to do there? <laughs> no, and it just has like a triangle diagram. That's a map of the site. Yes. Yeah. That would be so stressful as a community member to get that. That's right. City's looking for your feedback on this proposal. Contact information is on the reverse of this postcard. That's that's the whole thing. That's the whole thing right there. Oh, yeah. See, the ones I get from the city and living downtown are a bit more general. And so... Let's go positive. Let's go positive. So we talked about with Boss, or with Brett. So we talked about with Brett that they do a ton of infill projects. 50% of their work is infill, 
and 25% of that needs variances, which clearly shows that we need new rules and regulations. However, also this week, uh, at City Council, the Intel Roadmap uh, 2.0 was put to a complete status, which is really exciting. And administration got to tell council and the industry that in 2018, we hit our 25% infill target. In 2019, we hit our 25% infill target. And in 2020, we hit a 28% infill target. So high five to the city of Edmonton and to all those who are building within Edmonton, we're doing it. Incredible. I think you and I complain a lot about um, how slow it's going, but we need to be positive about this. That's incredible. Almost 30% of units. I really hope there's no caveat in there with, you know, COVID or other things that happened over the past two years. But regardless, it doesn't matter how we got there. We got there. That's exciting. Yeah, I am so excited for the city. It's just going to create vibrant spaces with options for people and really cool restaurants and businesses. And I'm so stoked. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, we're heading in the right direction. The last thing we got to talk about. Who the heck, who, who the heck is Emilio Estefan? Both, you said it at the very end of the episode, both Brett and I, I think, stared at you with big eyes, not knowing who the heck you were talking about. Brett and I both thought you were talking about Emilio Estevez, the actor from the Mighty Ducks, Gordon <laughs> Bombay. You didn't, you could not have meant him. And then I had to look up who Emilio Estefan was and he's the, you know, he's a music producer and he produced his, he's, he's the husband of Gloria Estefan and he's won like 19 Grammys or something, but I didn't even really know who he was. Who, what were you talking about? So <laughs> I should have referred, it was supposed to be Gloria Estefan. She has a song, The Rhythm Is Gonna Get You, which is referenced in Friends. <laughs> Joey in the episode with the tiny t-shirt where Ross wants his t-shirt back from Rachel, gets a big job, and he's like, oh, daddy, oh, daddy, I am a big old baddie. And then Ross is like, oh, we must have gotten that play. And then Chandler's like, either that or Gloria Estefan was right. Eventually, the rhythm is going to get to you. And so when we talked about rhythm, that's where I was going. But it was <laughs> did not all come together. Thank you for... You know what? I think even if you did say it the way you wanted to say it and say Gloria Stefan, I think Brett and I still wouldn't have understood what you're talking about. But regardless, thank you for clearing that up because I was wondering what Emilio Estevez had to do with uh, rhythm and infill development at all. So clearly, it's all about how you design the home. We have Gloria on retainer for it. She'll be at the next week infill event. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, I'm so happy about that. Well, you know what? It's Friday afternoon. This took us, you know, four or five tries to get uh, to this point and all recorded. So we should probably just cut bait and uh, go have good weekends. What do you think? Yeah. It's gorgeous outside. Let's get out of here. Yeah. Have a good weekend. Thanks for hanging out. See you, Ryan.